Good morning. As many of you know, for several years now, the worship associates have created the majority of services for the month of July. As part of all the celebration of our church's 150th year, our theme for this July has been illuminate the past, celebrate the present, inspire the future. As we were choosing topics to cover, I started thinking about the overarching themes of our universalist history, the universal message of love and hope, and universal salvation. I think we can all agree that the universal message of love and hope continues to be relevant for us in our lives. But I was not sure of the continued relevancy of universal salvation. I'm still not completely sure. I know the idea of salvation holds a lot of weight for many of us here, weight associated with all the other religious traditions that speak of salvation, weight that some of us no longer want to carry, As Paul Redessel said in response to my Cyber Coffee Hour posting, UUs grew out of that tradition in both senses. It is not really a global construct to the degree that God can be. We no longer bicker about the doctrinal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. For me, salvation belongs in that same dustbin. It is of historical interest, but has no meaning to how I live my life. For some, though, the concept of salvation does have meaning for how they live their lives. My posting on Cyber Coffee Hour prompted several discussions about the concepts of salvation and sin, with much disagreement among those that posted, reflecting the challenge of thinking about and defining our current beliefs in light of our religious histories. These differences in opinion about what salvation means to us now are nothing new. In the early 1800s, there was the Restorationist Controversy, which Stephen Protzman mentioned in his sermon here on June 28th. This controversy was between Universalists, who believed that all people were saved immediately after death, versus Universalists, who believed that people had a period of purification after death before they could enter heaven. The concept of salvation was approached differently by Unitarians then Universalists, Ernest Cassera edited the book, Universalism in America, a documentary history. And he writes about how the Unitarians believed people could earn salvation through their efforts and free will. He contrasts this to the Universalists, who focused less on people's individual abilities and more on a loving God who wanted all souls to be saved and united in eternity. However, Universalists weren't the only denomination to ascribe to the idea of universal salvation. As Russell Miller points out in The Larger Hope, the first century of the Universalist Church in America, 1770 to 1870, the mystics, including the Rappites, certain Quakers, the Duncans or German Baptists, Moravians and some Anglicans or Episcopalians, and selected Congregationalists all held universalistic views. The spread of universalist doctrine in the late 1700s in America has been attributed to many different ministers, among them Reverend John Murray. Murray, it is said, focused more than others on universal salvation in the majority of his sermons. He was known to interpret many biblical passages from his universalistic viewpoint. Miller states, Murray's methodology, by which he cited literally dozens of chapters and verses, led him to conclude that every prophet, from Moses through Christ himself, taught universalism. So what does this history mean to us now? Reverend Rebecca Parker has been the president and professor of theology of Star King School for the Ministry since 1990. 
She is an ordained United Methodist minister in dual fellowship with the Unitarian Universalist Association. I found her collected essays, Blessing the World, What Can Save Us Now, helpful in framing how we can think about salvation now and in the future. She and many of the responses from our members and friends all look at defining and describing multiple kinds of salvation. Despite salvation originally being tied to the construct of sin, either expanding or eliminating the idea of sin as it connects to salvation can accommodate for our multitude of approaches. We are all exposed to the idea of salvation in pop culture. For example, television shows like Saving Grace or songs like Jewels, Who Will Save Your Soul. Do we bother to interpret their apparent use of Christian concepts to fit into our Unitarian Universalist frame? Does believing in salvation mean we believe we have a soul to save? And what about the idea of sin? As read by Ben earlier, Karen Willis posits, If you reject the notion of original sin, then the only sin is how to behave, and the only salvation how we try to repair our errors. Her sentiment reflects the idea of sin that Stephen Protzman spoke about last month. He noted theologian Sally McVeigh's definition of sin as both taking up more space than is rightfully ours, as well as making choices that deny others. Reverend Parker addresses how in other religious traditions, sex has been considered tied to sin. She writes, quote, Making love is not the be-all and end-all of life. It rarely approaches perfection, and it isn't the most important thing we do. But it is far from the root of all sin. On the contrary, it can be life's most delightful means of grace, reminding us of our creative power, our connection to all life, and our sheer delight in being. If we consider how to hold our personal values and the rights and consent of others, then sex, too, can be part of our salvation and not a means for our downfall. I think Hosea Ballou, universalist in the 18th century, would agree with Reverend Parker. Ballou believed sin was serious, quote, blighting much of one's life and making a person miserable. However, he identified sin with misery and disagreed that sin could ever be pleasurable. So sin potentially equals misery, denying others, and behaving in error. Instead of tying ourselves to a set definition of sinful acts versus righteous ones, after all, there are very few clear definitions of other religious concepts in Unitarian Universalism, expanding the idea of sin to be jointly personal and in community with others works toward that acceptance of one another and encouragement for spiritual growth that we do covenant. Finding ways to incorporate our spiritual beliefs in our daily lives can be a struggle. When I participated in the Spirit and Practice class led by Heidi Mastrud the other year, I wanted to then do the class again with a group of friends to explore each area further. Yet the business of life got in the way, and I have yet to schedule it. I and others I know get stuck in an all-or-nothing box at times. How do we focus on our souls, our salvation, when we are so busy? What are the little things we can do? Reverend Parker writes, Most often, life is full of mundane tasks. Fear grinds our days into dust and ashes. But there are moments when we experience a thirst-quenching downpour of unexpected grace, showering us in unmistakable, surprising joy. Is it in these moments that we can consider ourselves saved? It is in these moments of unconditional love that Nancy Goshock mentioned, or finding our spiritual home after a long search 
where we are accepted for who we are, like Jessica Wicks wrote about, are redefining a hook that might have pulled us into actions not in connection with our values and using that hook, as Karen Willis noted, to fish with or hang plants on or something. These can be individual responses, moments in our personal lives that we experience that unexpected grace. But salvation can be thought of more on a group or community level as well. So much of what we do is in community with others. When we bring community into being, is this what saves us? Reverend Parker speaks of UU covenants for communion with others. She borrows from Puritan Richard Mather his phrase from 1644, quote, the falling in of spirits into communion. Parker notes all the various people and groups that UUs have fallen into communion with. She states, we live within this communion of souls and receive the beauty given to us by their lives so closely linked with ours. This is the covenant we are already in. I suggest that what we have received from this covenant is, most of all, membership in a community of resistance to oppression. This communion with others, this resistance to oppression, is this what saves us? Is it the work we do to embody our values in this life that saves us? Or are we saved for whatever comes after? Reverend Ungar wrote, We are anointed by gentle hands to be salved, healed by others, not salvaged and not saved. Salve as a healing ointment, with salvation the application of healing and help. And if salvation is more about the healing, more about the creation and doing, than about the avoiding what may or may not be sinful, then to put our beliefs into practice, to practice the covenant we make with ourselves, our families, our church, our community, that is a way we can find salvation. Reverend Parker states, The traditional response of religious liberalism is to place our hope in the future. Our apocalyptic myth imagines that the present world will come to an end and a new age will dawn. The liberal apocalyptic imagination skips the violent parts. It sees change coming through an evolutionary process, the gradual dismantling of evil empires and the eventual unfolding of life into greater forms of beauty and justice. She continues, I have come to believe we need to let go of this religious myth. We must relinquish our innocence and see the world as it is, focusing our attention on the marks of past violence in our personal and collective experience. From this place of honesty, we must discover how we can live among the ruins. To let go of the myth of being saved later, to focus on our dreams and embody them in the now, In this way, we can save ourselves, our communities now, not for some later time. How do we go about creating this space in our lives and communities in which we feel anointed or saved while still going about all the details of our daily lives? Is it through our intention that we find means of grace, our connection to all life, and our sheer delight in being? When I read Reverend Parker's essay that speaks about living among the ruins and doing so with an embodied intention so that each moment had the potential to be full of grace, I had the automatic thought that it sounded nice and not very practical. I know for me, all the mundane tasks and details of life, and even the more exciting and complex details of life, get in the way of having that intention to live moments open to finding grace. 
open to awareness that each moment could be one where we feel saved or anointed. So how might we start to be more able to find salvation in our lives? In another essay in her collection, Reverend Parker encourages, quote, change by proposing and manifesting more than by dismantling and opposing. This idea of change, of manifesting salvation for ourselves and our world, got me thinking about a way I could imagine being open to grace in amongst the details of life. Permit me to briefly describe a therapy concept called the miracle question from solution-focused brief therapy. The miracle question is a method of questioning that a therapist uses to aid a client to envision how the future will be different when the problem is no longer present. It's part of a therapy model that focuses on the present and future and not the past. I thought of it when I read Reverend Parker's idea about manifesting instead of dismantling. It can sound kind of hokey to imagine all problems and obstacles have disappeared overnight when you were sleeping. But it can also help one imagine a different life that could be more open. So I thought we could try it together as an experiment, a communal guided meditation. Feel free to close your eyes if you are comfortable or have a soft focus to be less aware of the visual stimulation around you. Let's all take a few nice deep breaths and bring our awareness to ourselves, our physical selves sitting here and all the details of our lives elsewhere. Now imagine that when you wake up tomorrow, like a fresh sheet of snow, everything is beautiful without exception. You wake with the awareness that your life is full of unexpected grace, showering you in unmistakable, surprising joy. You can feel the falling in of your spirit into communion with others. How would you know salvation has manifested in your life? What would be different? What would be the same? What else do you notice? Breathe in your new awareness. What parts of this awareness might you bring back with you to your place in your world here today?
Thank you for being willing to try that experiment, to meditate on imagining we have found grace, have been saved and salved. For me, remembering to breathe is how I imagine manifesting the joy that Reverend Parker writes about. Whether I think about salvation as being saved or the salvation of healing with the salve of Reverend Ungar's poem, being able to breathe alone and in communion with others is part of the journey. John Cohane wrote, The relevant question is not finding salvation, but how we are living. This may be, or it may be that the living itself is where the salvation occurs. Although one of the sources from which we draw is Jewish and Christian teachings, including the Bible, Unitarian Universalists are comprised of people of varying philosophies and theologies, some of which do not include a belief in a God or traditional ideal of salvation. Is it helpful to theorize and analyze how these religious concepts of our Universalist ancestors impact us now? Is the awareness of the connections to ourselves and our world a form of salvation? Some believe it is, but others might find this a futile attempt at reclaiming language of reverence and needing to reframe it so far beyond its original intent that it could be just as useful to merely use another word. As our religious movement continues to grow, will we ever reach a point where instead of calling ourselves Unitarian Universalists, that we'll just become UUs, referencing our history merely by acronym like some corporations have done after moving beyond their founding company? Based on the lively conversations prompted by my post on Cyber Coffee Hour, I do not think we are yet at the stage where we would choose to, name, choose our, to change our name to only an acronym. I don't know if we ever will. I do know that what keeps many of us continuing to come back to this church is that we can have these discussions and disagreements yet still feel connected as a community. As Marjorie Bowens Wheatley wrote in A Litany of Restoration, if we join spirits as brothers and sisters, the pain of our aloneness will be lessened, and that does matter. In this spirit, we build community and move toward restoration. As we move toward restoration, are we not also moving toward salvation? Blessed be.